0: Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 194 with Elaine Bennett. We are talking writing, and Elaine brings it in terms of how to write all the more clearly and powerfully. So you'll learn one, two essential pieces of information you need to be a more effective writer, two, how you can make a bigger impact through storytelling, and three, winning ways to turn straight thinking into straight writing. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we reference here, you can find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep194. And while at awesomeatyourjob.com, I encourage you to check out some of our great stuff. One thing I'll highlight right here is the 10 Days to Winning at Work email course. So these are selected excerpts of the most actionable tidbits I can put in email form from my Enhanced Thinking and Collaboration training programs I do with Teams. We've had some really cool success stories in terms of before and after every individual team member going through the programs, saving 86 minutes of waste chopped out of their work week. So hopefully you'll get a good piece of that just by doing the email course. And you can use that time to get home earlier or do more fun, creative, strategic work that you never seem to have time for amidst the urgency or or whatever you want. So that's the 10 Days to Winning at Work email course over at at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now, here's Elaine's story. Elaine Bennett had a baptism by fire as a speechwriter. Less than two years after she signed on to write for the CEO of Solomon Brothers, scandal forced the executive to resign. In stepped investor Warren Buffett. Since working with Mr. Buffett, Elaine Bennett has continued putting words in the mouths of CEOs of Fortune 500 companies and leading nonprofits. She unearths the stories behind business data and helps executives shape those stories into memorable messages. She also coaches individual professionals looking to develop executive caliber communication skills. Here is Elaine. Elaine, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast.
1: Oh, um, my pleasure, Pete.
0: You have an interesting array of historical clients and folks that you have worked with. And one I would love to hear a bit more about is, tell me, Warren Buffett, how did you get connected with him and what was your working relationship?
1: Well, I was the CEO speechwriter at Solomon Brothers, and he was the largest uh, shareholder of Solomon Brothers. So we had all of his annual reports lying around the office, and I knew that he was considered a great business writer. So I, I started reading his annual reports whenever I had a couple minutes, and then. Uh, at some point later, Solomon imploded and we very nearly went out of business and Warren rode in on his white horse to be our interim CEO, which saved the company. And so I was sitting in a, a press conference, a gigantic press conference to announce that Warren had, had come in and somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, you need to go back to your office. They need you to write something. And it turned out the thing they needed me to write was a letter to, to Solomon's clients that was going to go out under Warren's signature saying basically, you know, sorry or bad, we won't do it again. And so I wrote it, but I, I didn't know who was going to be reviewing it because you know, this was the days before email and and everybody who was above my boss had basically been fired. So I just I wrote my name at like a school paper. I wrote my name in the top corner and my office phone number and I sent it out into the world. And the next day my phone rang and I picked it up and this boy said, "Hey, this is Warren Buffett. Did you write this thing? I said, well, y- yes, sir, I did. He said, it sounds like I wrote it. I said, well, sir, that's my job. And. That was the beginning of a really wonderful working relationship. And I should apologize because my Warren Buffett imitation Uh. actually sounds a lot more like Walter Brennan, Uh, but Warren does not sound so goofy in person. But anyway, it was was a wonderful experience to work with him. He's a very smart man. Well, that's so cool. And I'd
0: love to hear, you know, what was maybe a lesson or gym or tip or takeaway you picked up across the time you were working together?
1: Tell the truth. Tell the whole truth, tell the truth, don't hold anything back. If you've got something untoward that you need to talk about, talk about it because people will forgive you uh, an indiscretion or, you know, something bad that you did, but they were not going to forgive you for being, you know, for lying. Mm hmm.
0: Yes, that's wise. And I've heard it said, and I agree that, you know, when you screw up, you know, people, you know, they don't like it. They're like, ah, they're sort of annoyed, but it's kind of understandable that you screwed up. But when you lie about screwing up, then it's a whole
1: nother story. Yeah. Well, you know, when Warren came in, he said, look, if you make a mistake, make a mistake. But if you do anything that damages Solomon's reputation, you're out. And so while he was there, some kid, some clerk in the trading department, you know, put an extra zero on something and cost the company a lot of money. And then and, and Warren was like, you know, that happens. All right. Well, now we've
0: covered that. Let's shift gears to talking about professionalism and professionals. Yes. And so you have towering expertise when it comes to writing and writing skills and helping people with that. I'd love it if maybe you could tee up the conversation by sharing with us. Why are writing skills important and how many folks do you think
1: got it? They are very important and I could probably count the number of really good business writers on the fingers of my hands you you know if you're in business you read these white papers you read these reports you read the emails that people send you it takes it it's a complete waste of time because if if people wrote more clearly then the people they write to could read the things faster and understand them and act on them more efficiently but there's a lot of really muddy business writing out there um You know, I give you an example. I was listening to a podcast this morning and I I don't even remember which one it was. It was not yours. And and the woman being interviewed, the guy asked her a question and she's like, you know, I'm really glad you asked me that question. And I was really glad when I read in the pre-read that you sent me that you were gonna ask me that (laughs) question because it gave me an opportunity to think about what I would say when you asked me that. I mean, she went on for literally two minutes, Say just just sort of bluffing until she could figure out the answer to the question that he had asked her, you know, a day before or an hour mm-hmm. before, uh, and and that kind of thing. Just oh, it makes my blood boil because it's a waste of time. And so, keep your audience in mind when you're writing. What is this person I'm writing to? Whether it's an email or a speech or anything, what is the audience going to need to know? And what do I want them to do with that information? And if you can write your things with those two pieces of information in your head, you're going to be a much more effective writer.
0: Hmm. Yes. And so I think that's fantastically on the spot. And I appreciated how when you pitched me on you, which you did very well. 95 plus percent. Oh, thank you. Don't,
1: <laughs> don't get
0: <laughs> on the show. So I thought you did. You gave you what I needed to know. I was like, yes, sure enough. You connected to what we're about and showed me that you had relevant content as well as authority in the space, as well as engagingness to look at. And so I was like, that's what I need. Whereas I think a lot of times what I don't need are, it seems like a lot of publicists are maybe trying really hard to be topical to a news item and it's like, well, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't really care a lot about, you know, United's woes or Uber's troubles. Right. Like it's, just, right. I don't really need that connection. And who knows when the show will air, if it's a month or two, you know, after, after the news event has faded, regardless. So, all right, cool. Well then, so that's a great broad perspective there when it comes to keep the audience in mind. What do they need to know? What do you want them to do? Any other sort of broad universal perspectives or principles that you bear in mind when you do all your writing?
1: Sure. Um, I just want to say that you have done a really good job of positioning your podcast because the name of the podcast, Be How to Be Awesome at Your Job, tells you exactly what you're going to give me as a listener and what you want me to give your audience as as the guest. So, of course, I'm going to give your audience tips to hopefully help them to be more awesome at their jobs. Uh, And one thing you can do is be aware of something called the curse of knowledge, now, this is a term that was created by Chip Heath and Dan Heath in a really wonderful book they wrote called Made to Stick. And if your, your listeners haven't read Made to Stick, I would highly recommend it. Uh, and, and the curse of knowledge is when you know something so well, you have some, some information, like it, maybe you're a specialized person in finance, right? I once, I once had a guy on Wall Street tell me, I'm going to have a, a, a make a cash transaction with a disinterested third party. Mm-hmm. and I said, What? And he said, I'm going to the deli to buy a sandwich <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that you know that's completely unnecessary. He was just showing off but um but when you know so much about your subject. You can't just sort of open up the fire hydrant and give all of that information to your audience, especially if they don't have the same level of expertise that you do. So you have to figure out, you sort of have to take yourself back to when you were learning this. Did I understand what that term meant? I used the, the term C-suite in my blog a while back, and I got letters from some of my readers saying, you know, I had to Google that. Mm-hmm. Or ROI, people don't always always know right off that that's return on investment. So I hate acronyms anyway. I would always say return on investment. But um, but be aware of what you know and talk to your audience at the level that they're at. You can bring them up a level if that's and that's a wonderful thing to do is to impart knowledge to people. But don't 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 be given a graduate school lecture to fifth graders.
0: Okay. Oh, these are great principles. So, you know, beware the curse of knowledge and yep. think about what was it like before you knew those things, you know, be cautious of acronyms, et cetera, yeah. and be thinking about the recipient and who are they? What do they need to know? What actions will they take? Okay. So now is there a sort of more of a step-by-step that you think through when you do your writing? So was it Warren Buffett who said that you turned straight thinking into straight writing?
1: Yes, Warren said that.
0: That's a nice endorsement. Nicely done.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, what's the protocol for making that happen?
1: How do you do that? Well, actually that's that's really the curse of knowledge because in order to turn out straight writing, you have to you have to sort of straighten out the thinking for yourself, right? So so know what you're know what you're saying, know who your audience is, know what they want and what you want from them, and then Real and tell stories. That's the most important thing you can do. May you know, even in an email, and it this story doesn't need to be five minutes long, it can just be one sentence. But if you can if you can tell a story, then the listener or the reader is gonna connect with your information in a different way than if you just gave them a bunch of facts. Mm-hmm. So you want them to get engaged in what you're in what you're writing so that they will you know, A, remember what you've said, and if you don't want people to remember what you've said, then why are you saying it in the first place? And B, they will they will act on it. So telling stories is really the most important thing that you can do, whatever kind of communication you're doing.
0: Now that's so fun with the uh, storytelling there, because It does make a huge impact on the recipient in terms of just connections. I'm making connections right now. We had a previous guest, Diana Boer. She told a tale. Ernest Hemingway was challenged to write a story super short, and it was just like for sale, baby shoes. never Never worn.
1: worn. Like, whoa,
0: you know, that's brief, but it just packs a punch. And I'm so intrigued what happened to this poor child, you know? (laughs) So could you maybe give us some other examples then of, you know, storytelling, email or verbally, you know, one or two or three sentences? How do we pull that off? Because I think a lot of people are thinking storytelling equals, you know, a big old narrative that's going to take a couple pages. So how do we deliver that fast?
1: So look at what I said to, in answer to your first question about Warren. I could have just said, "Well, I was working for Solomon Brothers, and Warren came in as the CEO, the interim CEO, and so I got to work with him."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now that's the same set of facts, but it's much less interesting, and it doesn't give you room as a as a listener. It doesn't give you room to put yourself in the story. But if I tell you, you know, I was sitting in my office minding my own business and the phone rings and it's Warren Buffett on the line, well, you're going to be like, oh, my God, how would I feel if that if that happened to me? Yes. And so it really draws you in. So that's just one way. So a story doesn't have to be a, a big, huge thing, right? So I was talking to my writing students the other day and I was talking to them about overusing adjectives and adverbs. You really don't want to do that. And you don't really need to. If you read a writer like James Baldwin, I, I I showed them a sentence that he wrote. It was a really long sentence. It was 157 words and only six of them were adjectives or adverbs, but it was incredibly descriptive. Now, a story doesn't have to be 157 words long. This is the story I told them to explain that. It's like, It's like your living room furniture. Do you want an overstuffed sofa that's stuffed so full of adjectives and adverbs that you can't even sit on it? Or would you like to have a whole suite of furniture Mm -hmm. with the adjectives and adverbs spread out among the different pieces? So that's not a long story. But hopefully you've you've got a picture in your mind now of an overstuffed sofa that you don't want to sit on.
0: Okay. So you're saying that the metaphor here associated with the furniture counts, you know, that's another means of delivering the story.
1: Absolutely. Anything that's not a straightforward fact counts as a story to me. Okay, certainly. And so then
0: what are the, I guess, fundamental components that make a story a story?
1: Surprise is a good component. Uh, Detail is, Detail is amazing. I was just listening to Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, Revisionist History, and he's got the the the, the episode that I'm thinking of is one about a, a Nashville songwriter. And he talks about the details in songs, and he compares a very detailed country song that paints a picture to like the Rolling Stones Wild Horses, which is a great song, but it's just like Wild Horses couldn't drag me away. That's not really a picture. Mm-hmm. that's a sort of a statement, so you want to paint a picture with your words because that 's how people so when you say what things right when you when you give people facts they go into the the what part of our brains, but when you give them stories or images, they go into the how part of our brains. And that's a much more active part, right? The what part is like a filing cabinet. The how part is like, you know, a Rubik's cube where you like manipulating it and and trying to play with the images in your brain, sort of in the background, but it gets, it gets embedded in there. And so we remember things much more clearly when they're presented to us in story form.
0: Okay. Well, could you maybe give us one more example of imagine in the business scenario, you know, we've got a fact, you know, associated with the survey results showed this Yeah, or whatever, or X percent of
1: people said why, Right. you know,
0: could you maybe give us an example to take that from fact to story?
1: Sure. One of the best examples I've read recently was Sally Krauchek's book. I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, but she, her book is called Own It. And she has a, a little nugget in there about the the lack of women on boards of directors. Now she could say, you know, there's 17% women on boards of directors. That's a fact. But what she did say was something like, there are more men named John or James or George or William on American boards of directors than there are women. Okay. That just blew me away. Because, I mean, just, and and an or that's or right not and so there are more men named John than there are women. There are more, you know, it's it, it, it's it's something that sticks to me.
0: Okay, that's good. Thank you. Well, then, can you tell us when it comes to being remembered and acted on? Sort of said well, that's kind of the point of what you're going for. Do you have any sort of key processes or strategies for making that come to life?
1: So. Telling stories, but also telling them—you need to tell people stories in the language that they have, right? So this is again—it's a little bit about the curse of knowledge. But um, you remember the movie Apollo Thirteen? That's right. Houston, we have a problem, right. right? So there was one astronaut who got left off the flight because he had chickenpox or something, and yeah. and so when the flight ran into trouble. He gathered up all of the, a big box full of all of the things that the astronauts would have access to in their in their spaceship and he tried to figure out how to solve their problem using only the tools that they had that's what you need to do as a writer. You need to figure out what resonates for your audience and use, use the tools that they have access to. So if I were speaking to, uh, uh, a group of women, I wouldn't necessarily start out with a football metaphor. I mean, women are football <laughs> fans. Sure. I'm a huge baseball fan. We can talk about the Cubs at some point, but, um, but 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 i wouldn't necessarily go with a really hardcore you know obscure football reference and if i were speaking to a group of men i might not use the stuffed furniture reference because they maybe n- don't think about furniture as much as other people do but um so you want to you want to work with the tools that they have and also you know one thing i want to say pete is that many people in business feel like if they're writing Important business things, they have to write it in a sophisticated way. And so, so everything gets really formal. And, you know, it's not, it's not just the business's fault. It's in most people, the last writing they did was in college or grad school. And academic writing is very different than the way normal people write. So you want to, you want to write like people speak. And, and don't be afraid that if you're not all fussy and to whom and not ending sentences with prepositions, don't be afraid that people will think that you're not smart. Of course, you're smart. You wouldn't have your job if you weren't smart. So just talk to people the way, the way they talk, the way, write the way you talk. And one really good way to learn to write the way you talk is to talk your things out, talk your writing out loud, you know, talk it into the record app on your phone or, or whatever, and then, then clean it up and make it, make it more coherent because, you know, we're not
0: always coherent when we speak. Yeah, that's intriguing. You know, I think that's great. And we do tend to enjoy, well, people have told me that numerous times. Like, oh, Pete, it's like you're talking to me. It's like, okay, good. That's great to hear. I guess I'm wondering about, it seems like there are a number of nuances there when it comes to the speaking versus reading feel of language. For example, I don't know, maybe Elaine, you are the person who could finally shed light on this for me. (laughs) When I'm reading sort of guest bios, I always feel a little weird when they start with a clause, like equally at home in both corporate communications and nonprofit." so so-and-so likes to blah, blah, yeah. blah. Yeah, and I'm thinking, no, people don't talk like that. So I feel weird taking a, a written bio and then saying that with the opening phrase. So I don't know. Is there a name for this phenomenon and anything else we should watch out for when making that translation?
1: it's bad writing. Um, you know, the thing is that if you're giving somebody a bio to read aloud, like a guest would send you a bio for you to introduce them, uh, you, you want to not do the, the sort of second clause first Mm -hmm. thing. And there probably is a name for that. It's just not coming to me, but, but you want to have subject verb, Clause, because that's the way we hear things. Unless we're German, in which case we're used to having things all muddled up. But <laughs> if you're speaking to English speakers, um, you know when you say "equally at home with blah blah blah," I don't know who you're talking about until yeah. you get to the name or the she she does whatever. So when you're writing, when you're writing for the ear, that's just one of the things that you need to to remember. It's not the same as writing for the eye. Your sentences need to be shorter. Uh, It's good practice to mix up long and short sentences anyway in any writing, but but you can't, you know, do a James Baldwin 157-word sentence in a speech. And you also need to repeat things. So, So like if I said, well, Pete says blah, blah, blah. Pete is the host of the podcast whatever so you you know you wouldn't say Pete says blah 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 he is the host of the podcast you want to give them a little a little repetition of your name uh, so that they you know remember that when people are listening to you speak they're they're hearing it for the first time and the only time and they can't like say wait a minute that was confusing let me turn the page back and reread that because they're listening to you so you need to be clear the first time
0: mm-hmm Okay. Well, now tell us, we've covered a number of don'ts, things you shouldn't do. Are there any further mistakes that are pretty common amongst business writers and what should we do to prevent them?
1: Well, you know, can I give you a do instead of a don't? Write every day is the only way to get better. And you really will get better if you write every day. So just take 15 minutes a day. And you know, shut your door, put, put a timer on your phone and just write. And the more you do that, the better you will get. I've, I've been writing for 20 20- years, Five year. I stopped counting at 25, but I've been writing for a long time. And a little over a year ago, I decided that I was going to do 15 minutes a day of creative writing for myself. That's not for my clients or my business. And I have been doing that every day for 455 days. Mm-hmm. And I've won awards for writing, but my writing is so much better now than it was 455 days ago. So I know it works. Oh, that's great.
0: And so can you share with us when it comes to that writing, does it make a difference if you're doing that digitally with like a keyboard or handwritten?
1: However you want to get it done. And you know, I count journaling. If there's a if there's a day that I don't have a blog idea in me and, or if there's a day that I have to do my 15 minutes in a parking lot waiting for something, um, I will just journal, but yeah, however you want to write and, you know, do different things because the writing you do at your keyboard is going to be different than the writing you do with a pen and paper. And that's going to be different than the writing you do with a crayon. If you've got access to a crayon, Grab it and do your 15 minutes. It's not going to sound like anything you write for business. It's going to be fun. Okay, great. And do you
0: have any further tips and tricks to get a quick boost to writing quality?
1: Yes, read. Read good writing. I had a friend who who was a writer and and always complained that she wasn't getting any better at it. But she wasn't reading any really good writing. She was reading these, you know, cheap little uh, sci-fi novels. I mean, there's nothing wrong with sci-fi novels, but they weren't very well written. So read things that you don't normally read, read things that you, you know, don't have to read for work. My favorites are The New Yorker and Vanity Fair. Those are really well-written magazines and they, they cover a wide range of topics. Uh, so, and, you know, novels, poetry, it's all good. Uh, and just to, to sort of, air out your brain a little bit because we get so involved with work and with the things that we have to write for work. It's just really good to open up the windows and let some new ideas in.
0: Oh, thank you. Well, so now I'd love to get your take on those are some suggested pieces to read as well as Warren Buffett's stuff, his books and annual reports. That's good. Could you maybe tell us what might be some examples of Bad things. You mentioned the sci-fi novels that I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm reading, say, Rolling Stone or Wired, it just feels like they're trying to have fun with crazy sentences and interesting articulations of things, which, which is, you know, cool for them and artistic and all. But I just think I couldn't stand to write something that sounds like that. And it might be problematic to do so. I don't know. What's your take on? bad stuff or what to pull from that?
1: Well, I mean, you've got to stick with your style. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, I would not, I love the musical Hamilton. I think it's genius, but you won't find me writing a speech in rap. All right. So you've got to, you've got to stick with, stick with your style. Uh, I actually find from, for myself, and this just might be my speech writer's ear that I, I hear voices and somehow they go into my brain and come out my fingers sometimes. But I find when I read something that's got a really specific style, like Jane Austen, everything I write after that for a day is going to sound like Jane Austen. Yes. Uh, So, uh, be careful, be careful who you're reading. Uh, but you know, it's, one of the things, when I was in college, my, one of my teachers had us do um, writing in different styles. So we would write a paper and we would have to write it in two different styles. So that's an exercise I give my writing students sometimes to just write write a short paragraph as yourself and then write it as if it was a monologue in a Western movie you know, whether you're the sheriff or the bad guy, uh, and then write it as if it's, you know, a sitcom or a romantic comedy or, you know, Shakespeare, whatever kind of genre you want, just, just find a couple of different ways to say the same thing. And when you, that's especially a good exercise for people who are trying to find their writer's voice. Because after you've written like three to five different people, the next thing you write is going to be you Mm
0: -hmm. because your
1: brain just can't hold that many styles in it, you know?
0: Okay. Well now, Elaine, is there anything else you want to make sure to mention before we hear about some of your favorite things?
1: Yeah, I want to to mention two things. Um, I have a daily writing challenge that I run from time to time. And the next one will be at the end of September, towards the end of September. So it's right for five days in a row for a minimum of 15 minutes a day. And your $15 registration fee goes to a literacy chat uh, nonprofit. So we can put that in the show notes. And also, I have an ebook that I would love to offer your listeners. It's called Make Them Listen to You. So it's five well it's actually 6 tips on on how to communicate effectively with your people whether you're writing a speech or writing anything. Okay, thank you. Well now could you share with us a favorite quote? Oh, you know, I think I would have to say Seth Godin. Seth Godin has many quotable quotes, but the my favorite one that i that i find myself repeating often is people like us do things like this hmm. and it's a great it's a great thing to think about when you're marketing right because you're not marketing to some faceless nameless blob you're marketing people like me people like us do things like this so if i Take a writing class. Then I'm the kind of person who takes a writing class, and and people like us take writing classes because they want to improve. So I think people like us do things like this. Well, oh, thank you. And how about a favorite book? In the business world, I would say The Big Leap by by Gay Hendricks. That is the book that I've read that's uh, given me the most the most to think about in terms of writing. and Lamott's book, Bird by Bird, is a really lovely guide to how to think about writing. And also Stephen King, who I I don't read his novels, but he's written a really good book for writers. It's called On Writing. So there you go, three. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite tool? My portable keyboard for my iPad. It, It lets me write everywhere I am. Although I did write a blog post on my phone this weekend, which was my first time doing that. Uh, And I felt very millennial. (laughs) Is
0: there a particular brand of keyboard? Is it Bluetooth or does it connect directly into there? Is it Apple's?
1: It's a Bluetooth. It's not Apple's. It's Logitech. All right. And I like it because it's blue. They have it in different colors, but it's, it's very flat and, uh, you know, it's Bluetooth and it's easy to connect and it slips right into my purse with my iPad. Lovely.
0: And is there a favorite
1: habit, a personal practice of yours? (laughs) I am a list maker and I, I have come late to the world of lists. I've only been doing it for Maybe a year and a half at this point, but I cannot live without my lists. I make lists the night before. actually, i just I just started using a new journal. it's the the best self journal, and it combines all of my different list making things into one book. So it's got a daily, journal for you know keeping track of my appointments it's got space for my to-do list it's got space for my daily gratitudes in the morning and the evening and space for my quarterly goals and the the things that i'm going to do each day to accomplish those quarterly goals it's a fabulous book oh cool i guess that's my favorite tool forget the logitech keyboard okay. go buy a best self journal
0: okay and if folks want to learn more get in touch where would you point them
1: Bennett Inc., B E N N E T T I N K, like ink from a pen.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at Biz Speechwriter, B I Z and Speechwriter spelled out. And
0: do you have a final challenge or call to action you'd issue to folks seeking to be more awesome at their jobs?
1: Right. Write every day, whether you want to or not. Just write. It really will help. Okay. Well, Elaine, thank you so much for
0: taking this time. It's been fun.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Pete.
0: One thing that's really stuck with me and resonated from this conversation is Warren Buffett's advice to tell the truth, tell the whole truth, tell the truth, don't hold anything back. I think that is so on point because not that I'm a liar (laughs) or I practice deception, but I find that I often wonder, hmm you know, what part of the story do I share and when do I share it and should I share? And it can be so simplifying to say, all right, well, hi. Hey, here's exactly what happened. I made a mistake. I've got some ideas for how to make that better. And then in so doing, you really do engender additional trust and respect from folks. And if you screw it up and then you lie about it, or you don't proactively share in time in order to be fixed, you really compound your problems in a big way. So I think that's just such a quick way to resolve the question of what do I say and when? Well, just be like Warren Buffett. Tell the truth, tell the whole truth and don't hold anything back and they will do it. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we referenced here, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F194. And I encourage you, if you haven't already, push subscribe, you'll hear from our next guest. It is Stacy Hunky. She is talking about how to do your messages you know, live in presentation format, have a lot of presence and gravitas and respect when you're speaking up so that you are heard. So I hope to catch you then, and peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be
1: Awesome at Your Job.